0: this is green seas the podcast by tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean i'm eric priante martin and today we're going to focus on methanol as a fuel for shipping hello everybody thank you for uh joining us welcome to uh tradewinds uh green seas fuel a few days ago we had our first live event the green seas fuels forum Also, a very important note, um, we have no fire drills planned for today. So uh, if the alarm sounds, uh, assume it's real uh, and uh, clear a path for the moderator to escape first. Um, I I will lead you to safety. Uh... We took to the stage at the New York Yacht Club with some of the shipping companies that are making investments in various alternative fuel technologies today. The majority of the ship owners, operators and charterers that participated had made some move into methanol as a marine fuel. Over the last year, we've seen methanol take off in orders for new ships. It can provide lower emissions for ships today, and it's available all over the world. But it does have carbon in its chemical formula, and there are greenhouse gas emissions in its production. That means shipping companies that are striving to drastically reduce their emissions, even reach net zero, are looking toward a future of greener forms of methanol, and those are not readily available today. Biomethanol is one option, and e-methanol is made from hydrogen produced from renewable electricity and captured carbon. So here are snippets of our conversation on the stage, edited down to focus on the methanol discussion. I'd like to start off uh, by, uh, by oh. introducing uh, Iman Abdallah. She's uh, the operations director at Cargill Ocean Transportation, uh, where her team operates a fleet of more than 700 vessels, and she's responsible for, for sustainability at the, the division of, of Cargill. Uh, and so, Iman, Cargill's looking to expand its use of biofuels. Um, there's, uh, it's ordered some methanol-fueled bulkers uh, and uh, putting wind propulsion to the test. Uh, tell me a little bit about how... Cargo came to these decisions, and then take take us forward. What's what's next?
1: Okay. Um, Thank you, Eric. Pleasure to be here um, with everybody. So yes, I think if I'm gonna, the first word I'm gonna say is that we wanted to cut the big debate of the chicken or the egg, right? We wanted to put an end to that debate, and we decided that we need to take action, and we need to take action today. Um, The only way that fuel suppliers, that we can give them the right signal to actually start making the right investments in putting the right infrastructure and supply for green fuels for the future is if they see that there is actually demand for those fuels. So giving them that signal by putting in orders for dual fuel ships was the right thing to do, and that was done through the order of the two Um, dual fuel methanol camsormax vessels that hopefully are gonna come into the water by 25, 26. But in addition to that, as much as we're super focused obviously on green fuels, um, as was rightly said, right, we we do have an existing fleet. Um, The average age, and I'm obviously talking in particular about the dry bulk fleet, the average age is about what, nine years? What are we gonna do with that fleet? 55% 55% of that fleet is gonna to continue to run on conventional fuel and something needs to be done. And this is where we wanted to diversify our efforts. And actually we just wanted to put our hand, um, our finger on the pulse and put our hand on all the available options and all the available alternatives. Um, wind wings is one of them. The reason why we love um, the wind is because the wind is free, right? And at the, but at the same time, we know that it's not available on all routes So let's make sure that we partner with the right partners, um, Bar Technology, Yara Marine, to build the wind sails. The best thing about wind is that it will reduce the ship's fuel consumption. So the second that you pair wind with dual fuel, like methanol, this is when you really have significant savings, right? Um, so that's one. We're also, you know, hopefully soon you're going to come out with further announcements, whether it's on wind technology or rotors as well, um, hopefully also retrofitting some of the existing fleet that we have. In addition to that, um, we've tapped and we put a lot of our weight on biofuels. Biofuels is, again, it's, it's, it's a drop-in, so no capital investment required. And you know, while a lot of people are still talking about biofuel trials, we're saying, okay, enough with the trials. It's time to have full-fledged programs. We've supplied already biofuels to more than 40 vessels, um, 20,000 tons of biofuels, both in Rotterdam and in Singapore. So it's through making those investments, but obviously side-by-side side with increasing our fleet's efficiencies through ESDs, and this is through our partnership um, with MERS Tankers and Mitsui on Project Njord. Um, it's through voyage optimization, and this is through our um, using a platform such as Zero North. So let's make sure that we are optimizing the fleet, we're optimizing our operating the fleet, but at the same time doing everything we possibly can to bring new technologies into the market and into
0: the industry. So next I'd like to turn to uh, Rodrigo Bermelio. He's the uh, shipping technical manager at Vale, the, uh, the iron ore mining giant. And, and he's in charge of the eco-shipping uh, research and development program. And lately that, that culminated uh, in, in, in the launch of a process that aims to build uh, very large uh, Guaiba Max uh, uh, ore carriers. Um, that will not only be fueled by methanol, but will have um, will have uh, uh, wind uh, at propulsion. And so, I wanted to ask for you to, to tell us a little bit about that process to kind of de-risk these 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 options that you've looked at. And um, while we were eager to hear about when you when you sign that uh, new building deal, what's what's next for the ships that are that are carrying uh, Vale's uh, Vale's iron ore now?
2: Great. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Eric and Tradewinds for the invitation, the opportunity to be here and talk a little bit of our projects. Uh, To reply to your question, I would like to make a quick uh, review on the Valis shipping history. Uh, We have a history of innovation and uh, energy efficiency. Um, uh, About a decade ago, we uh, launched the Valemax ships. Valemax ships were a disruptive ship that changed the market for bulk. Uh, and uh, um, improve the efficiency compared to the traditional cape size vessels by around 30%. Um, and shortly after we launched the first generation of these vessels, we start thinking about what would be next and start working on the second generation of that vessels. Uh, and the second generation of Valemax, we were able to improve the efficiency by about 15% compared to the first generation in just eight years. And that was uh, due to the market convergence uh, moved by the regulations that were in force, and others that were under discussion. And for the Valemax, we also uh, inaugurated a concept that that was called LNG Ready. At that moment, uh, the alternative fuels were an incipient discussion. And we start discussing with uh, different classification societies how to have <coughs> alternative fuels on that ship. So the, the ships were designed with a dedicated compartment that could receive in the future uh, tank for LNG for a round voyage. Um, that was the initial of our, say, strategy to deal with the uh, reducing emissions. Uh, uh, but soon we realized that this was not enough, uh, given the, the challenge that we have for climate change and the need to reduce the emissions even further. Uh, so uh, we launched internally a R&D program that's called Echo Shipping, uh, and Echo Shipping worked uh, on mid and short-term strategies. Uh, on the short-term strategies, uh, our objective was to test as much pilots as possible for energy efficiency. I think. Uh, Uh, it's already mentioned here, the importance of the energy efficiency in the short term. Uh, There are lots of efficiency to be gained and how this is a lever to the adoption of the alternative is in the future uh, as it reduces the demands for fuel uh, on board the ship. So this is the the short-term strategy. And uh, in this uh, pillar, we tested rotor sails, air lubrication, advanced whole coachings, variable frequency drives, hydrodynamic device. There are various pilots that are ongoing being tested and uh, data collecting, high-frequency data being collected and being analyzed by uh, internal engineers and also third parties to assess that. Uh, in the mid-term, there is the challenge for the alternative fuels. And uh, despite the fact that we designed the Valemax second-generation LNG-ready, we never really retrofitted vessels with LNG, Um, and this is because of the regulatory uncertainty and the high cost for conversion and the uncertainty on the price of these fuels. So we realized that we would like to have a solution that would not be uh, locked into one type of fuel, and we developed the concept of multi-fuel tanks which is a tank that can store LNG, ammonia, and methanol on the same tank. We received an AIP from DNV for these tanks, and recently, a general approval for ship application of these tanks. And this was an important step that unlocked uh, the pathway to adopt an initial solution and uh, and without uh, having a backup plan. So we have a backup plan for the future to change that. in the meantime, Valley set a lot of ambitious uh, targets for reducing its emissions. We have uh, scope one emissions to reduce 33% by 2030, and ambitions to have the electricity uh, fully provided by renewable energy in 2025 in Brazil and 2030 globally. And we have a net zero uh, ambition by 2050 for scope one and two. But shipping is scope three. Uh, and it's an uh, important part, critical part, but uh, among uh, shipping and uh, steel making. Um, and then bringing all this together into the opportunity that we have in the next generation of ships to converge all these knowledges and uh, towards this strategy that we have, the ambitions that we have. So we designed this next generation of vessels that we went to the market to ask for uh, ship owners to. To, to provide an offer. And these vessels, they incorporate first the state-of-the-art technology uh, that is learned from all the pilots that we are testing the eco-shipping. So you have sails and those vessels, variable frequency drives, advanced whole coatings, and lots of device, small device, that in combination, uh, we believe that we can improve the efficiency by another 15%, which I believe it's uh, it's a great uh, improvements in so short time compared to the the first very large carriers that we launched and the second part of the strategy is really to to give this first step on the alternative fuel so the vessels they will be um, dual fuel methanol and hfo dual fuel but they also incorporate uh, the strategy of being multi-fuel so there is a design of these vessels incorporating multi-fuel tanks that could be later in the future, retrofitted for ammonia and LNG. So the vessels will be methanol-dual-fueled, ammonia, LNG-ready. And this allows us to make this step, this bold step, which I I, I fully agree with the speakers before me, that we need to take action and we need to uh, foster the innovation and this adoption of this technology in the market by giving them the signals. Uh, But of course, having uh, uh, plans for changing the future because uh, the challenge is very complex. The regulation is still under development, and we need to have alternative ways thinking about the entire uh, lifetime of these vessels. So in short, this is, our, this is our strategy. So we really hope that uh, in two years' time we'll have these vessels sailing and they can contribute to this challenge.
0: And, and Paul Hexter is president of Waterfront Shipping. Um, which is the, the shipping division of methanol produce, producer Methanex, and, and Waterfront has been paving the way uh, on, on methanol. I checked our archives, and Paul, you've been telling us since well before IMO 2020 about uh, the, the, uh, the virtues of methanol as, a, as, a, as an alternative fuel. And, and so, you know, now that we've seen uh, in, in recent times uh, such a big surge of orders, uh, oh, and I, I forgot to mention. Also, uh, recently did the the first biomethanol um, voyage, um, and and this is this is part of a requirement we have at Trade Winds Forums. Is you have to make news the week before our events. Um, and so, so, so I have two questions to you now. Now, now that we have this, that we've seen this big, um, uh, this big surge in, in methanol orders, um, uh, you know. Do, do you, have, do you say I told you so to a lot of people? But the, the real question is 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 where do you see Waterfront and, and Methanex's path ahead when it comes to green methanol?
3: Um, first, thanks for the invitation to be here. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about methanol as marine fuel and join the panel. Um, as you mentioned, the, we're a subsidiary of Methanex, the world's largest producer of methanol. So... The idea of us having methanol-fueled vessels came naturally. Um, It was my predecessor, Johan Hognestad, who um, with MAN and and a couple of uh, time charter owners discussed the possibility of using methanol as a marine fuel in 2013. And By 2016, we had the first seven ships on the water. Um, that first generation, obviously because of the short period between um, concept to on the water, there were some challenges, some teething with the technology, but with really good support from our partners the the learnings through those that first generation was incorporated into the the second series of four ships that were delivered in two thousand and nineteen and Now we just took delivery in January of this year of the eighth and eighth vessel for us in the third series, so We now have 19 MR tankers capable of running on methanol, which is roughly 60% of our fleet of 30 ships. Um, I think when we started talking conventional methanol, it it made sense because it's already available in roughly 120 ports around the world. You look at the infrastructure required for establishing the bunkering. um, Because methanol is liquid at ambient temperature and pressure, um, the infrastructure should be relatively easy to establish, um, it can be stored in mild steel um, and you don't need the cryogenic handling of some of the, the other alternative fuels. So for us it, it made a lot of sense and to date we have over 145,000 hours running on methanol over, since the delivery of those first ships. Um, the announcement you mentioned we didn 't hold it, so we, the timing of the announcement was convenient for for this seminar, but not not held just for you um, <laughs> we, yeah, we, um, we wanted to use the the biomethanol voyage as an opportunity to show that there there is the ability today with the use of biomethanol to reduce carbon footprint in the, in the shipping industry so <laughs> Our production facility in Geismar, Louisiana is certified ISCC uh, biomethanol. So with the use of renewable natural gas as a feedstock, we can produce ISS or ISCC um, certified biomethanol to markets in, in Europe. And we used that methanol um, in a combination with conventional methanol also produced in Geismar, to conclude the first net zero voyage. So the feedstock for the renewable natural gas was uh, a biomethane or animal manure, which has a negative carbon intensity. And that combined with the conventional methanol, we were able to achieve a net zero voyage from Geismar, Louisiana to Antwerp. So 18 day voyage um, with net zero emissions. So really exciting and a great opportunity to, to show that there is a, a path. Um, I agree with Ian, any of the alternative fuels right now the, the challenge we face is cost and scalability, um, but it's investments like our colleagues here are making that is gonna advance the investment into renewable natural gas and, and the other technologies. So yeah, it was really exciting, our, our opportunity to,
0: to demonstrate that, but yeah, thank you. Paul, you mentioned the, the number of ports that have, uh, that have um, conventional methanol available, but I wonder, you know, uh, uh, Rodrigo, as, as you as you look at as you look at methanol, and you're you're making this decision on on on, on contracting me- methanol fuel vessels, do you see uh, do you see a pathway to finding green methanol uh, in the near future?
2: Yes, sure. We see a way, and we have our uh, strategy teams in Singapore that's discussing with various players uh, looking for players that uh, potentially could develop the, and deliver the solutions the, for the supply of methanol. So this is uh, running parallel while we have the, the thing they running for the ships we are looking on the, all the various ways that we, we could have a green methanol supplied in the short term for these ships. So we do believe it's possible.
0: Iman, can I ask you the same question and, and and Cargill has a Cargill Ocean transportation has a has a marine fuels division. how How are you looking at? Uh, procuring at some point uh, green methanol.
1: Correct. So obviously we have the added advantage of having our own um, access um, to biodiesel fuels, and you know we've recently built and opened our first biodiesel plant. So you know, do we believe that it will be accessible? Yes, we do. We are, you know, Simos Rodrigo's, were already in discussions with various, um, with various players and various partners in Europe, in Asia as well. Um, Singapore, definitely one of the hubs that we believe that they will be able to supply green methanol fairly soon. So we think methanol, the thing with us though is that, we don't think that you know the final solution to decarb shipping is going to be one specific type of fuel so you know one of the audiences asked earlier about nuclear we also believe that nuclear will most likely and i'm not going to say the word definitely although i am tempted to is going to be the end solution right but from here till we reach that end solution we're going to have to use green methanol and methanol actually you know Ultimately, we want to use only green methanol, but until we use only green methanol, we're going to probably have to go through different shades and different colors, right? From gray to blue and so forth. Um, Ammonia is another one as well that we think that ammonia, um, with the advancement, technological advancement and all the research that's being done today, that it could definitely be a viable solution on specific trades and on specific size segments as well. So um, so yeah. So in the end, the conclusion is that we're going to have a variety of options and that's going to significantly change the demographics and how we trade ships, right? Because today any ship could be traded um, in different basins and so forth. Um, but going forward, if you have specific fuels for specific trade zones, what is that going to do uh, you know, from a trading perspective? so it's going to be a completely different landscape it's going to be a very a much more complicated landscape as well so and what is that going to do um, for ship owners and operators we think that there will be changes coming
0: and paul as 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 you know you've done this 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 one biomethanol voyage what what's your advice for kind of uh, other ship owners that, that that want to find green methanol um, you know what do they have to change to to uh, to get those to get those volumes and and will it require long term contracts
3: i think long term contracts make it easier because then you have um Something to backstop an, an offtake in order to to support the investment into the renewable natural gas, so today the renewable ga- natural gas market in the u s is like roughly zero point one percent of the natural gas market in general, so it's a very small piece of of the the gas market in the u s there's a lot of investment or planned projects over the the coming years um, so we could see on a methanol equivalent basis. 20 to 100 million tons of methanol equivalent by 2040. That's still, as you mentioned, it's not the, the only solution. It's not gonna resolve um, all of the maritime industry. So we've not looked at it as methanol as the, the only solution, but really just a, a part of the solution. But the investment from, from charters will ha- help uh, fast track investment into renewable natural gas and make it more, more readily available for sure.
0: Uh, question for you, Iman, um, so we've seen in the container space um, uh, a number of, of cargo owners that have shown a willingness for paying a premium for green shipping. How is that playing out in dry bulk? Are you seeing that in, in the dry bulk sector?
1: So this is an excellent question, and the answer is actually yes, we are. Um, I can't necessarily say it's, it's, it's the majority, but at least we are seeing, and it obviously depends on the industry, because in the end, you know, as a, as a freight provider, you know, we are part of somebody's supply chain somewhere, right? So it all depends on the industry. You have, for example, the steel and the alumina industry um, in Europe that are keen and, you know, that are willing to pay the premium. Um, and some as well, mining companies have started the, the discussion and started the right conversation by saying, okay, what is it that we can do? What kind of premiums um, you know, that we are looking at? Um, one of the mining companies have already started um, you know, with our biofuel program, for example, from Singapore, right, where they're not getting any credits. Instead, they are paying a premium. So the answer is yes. Um, and we feel that this is gonna actually continue and the interesting thing is that we're not only discussing you know, the future um, of, of green fuels and the future of shipping um, and the ability of making green shipping a reality with our own customers. We're actually having the discussion with their customers. So, and, and this is by putting that and starting those conversations with their customers Right? that puts the pressure, that pressure is gonna cascade back to our customers and make them even more willing to come to us and see, okay, what, what can I do? And how can I decarbonize my supply chain, even if it's scope three? And obviously, from one industry to the other, it varies significantly, and a lot of them are focusing on scope one or scope two. But here's the interesting thing. Actually, abating scope one and scope two might be super expensive. So you actually might be able to make significant progress if you focus on scope three first. And this is the
0: angle, and this is how we are initiating those discussions. And, and Rodrigo, you are a cargo owner. Uh, what, what's, uh, how are you looking at the, the, the cost of, of green methanol um, going forward?
2: Yes. Uh... We understand that, of course, bringing all these solutions together, we have an extra cost. You can call it a premium. Uh, and shipping is a very critical part of our uh, value chain uh, compared to our competitors that are much closer to our clients than, than ourselves. So of course, we understand there is an extra cost there. But we also look on the other side. And the reason why we've been testing a lot of pilots and making engineering in-house, adopt these solutions that we believe that there are opportunities as well to be captured on freight reduction Uh, so uh, at the very beginning when we start our program we say okay we need to find the solutions to respond to this question of reducing emissions but we also can find uh, opportunities to reduce the the freight costs not only to increase so I think it's a combination we know uh, 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 green fuels will be more expensive than uh, than the than the traditional fuels that you use today. And that's where the combination of technologies play a role. So if you have a more energy efficiency and you can reduce your fuel demands, this is a balance that you can find in then that you don't have a, a so big extra cost, but you can manage that cost into something that is acceptable and uh, uh, you can move forward. So we see this way of uh, also the opportunities that are uh, on the table.
0: And, and putting, putting green methanol aside, uh, Paul, let me ask you about uh, and an audience, had to, audience member had a question that, that I wanted to ask you anyway, which is tell us about the, the pricing dynamics of, of conventional methanol uh, and the cost of using conventional methanol ref, relative to using uh, you know, conventional residual fuel oil. Sure. During most of 2022,
3: uh, so methanol has half the energy equivalent as a conventional fuel. So you have to consume roughly double um, what you would a VLSFO or MGO. Um, When we looked at the economics during 2022, there was a large portion of the year where in multiple regions, methanol was more competitive even than VLSFO. Um, that's not typical. Um, usually, I think if we look back over a 10-year history, there's periods where it can be competitive with VLSFO, but it's, it's not the norm. I think when you're looking at comparison in an ECA where it's being compared with MGO, it's more um, consistently competitive there. As you move from the the gray, that's for gray methanol. Um, As you move from gray to blue to green, obviously you go farther down that um, path towards green. The cost becomes more expensive. The fossil fuel content becomes um, less. yeah, but the scalability and availability of those blue and green methanols or alternative fuels in general becomes, becomes less. So I think a way that we see as an opportunity to reduce the cost of the green is through that transition. We're looking at carbon capture in some of our facilities to move towards blue. And then some combination of blue and green to reduce the, the premium is,
0: seems uh, like a, a good way to go. It's interesting, actually. I think this is, looking at the app here, this is the most engaged audience uh, I've, I've come across in these events. Uh, we have more questions that we can get to. But as, as before, we, before we close, uh, I wanted to see if there are, we've, we've got a microphone. Are there any audience members who'd like to you know, stand up and be a part of the discussion and, and ask a question of the, uh, of the panel?
3: How do you get from gray to green? Uh, it requires carbon capture or requires biomethanol. Um, you know, there's uncertainty about carbon capture as much as there is about scaling hydrogen. How do you see the traction of carbon capture and sort of getting that to, to, to green methanol? Yeah, I think for us we've um, committed to an investment in one of our plants to to do a study to to test the, the technology. But as you said, it's not it's not proven yet. So we're we're still some time away, probably. Um, a few years before carbon capture at a, a production site is, is a viable option. Um, really, short term, renewable natural gas is likely the, the best way to reduce your carbon footprint um, that's available today, and we're seeing a lot of investment in that, as we said earlier. Between now and, and 2040, we could see between 20 and 100 million tons of methanol equivalent of RNG available in, in North America. So, yeah, it's. It's going to take time, I think. But with investment in the in the shipping side, it's promoting the investment on the, the production side. So.
0: Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. The Green Seas newsletter dug into a report by two NGOs, Pacific Environment and Stand.Earth, that looked at the shipping emissions of 18 major retail brands in the US, the top three Across carbon dioxide and other pollutants were three big-box retailers, Walmart, Target, and Home Depot. Only one of them has made a zero-carbon commitment for its maritime emissions, with Target aiming for 100% of its shipping to use zero-emissions fuels by 2040. Here's Kendra Ulrich, Shipping Campaigns Director at Stand on Earth, speaking at our Green Seas Fuels Forum about how she believes major retail brands can get to zero-emissions shipping even sooner.
4: Uh, What I'm talking about is for the cargo owners to commit to zero emission uh, shipping by 2030. Um, Certainly for uh, cargo carriers, um, that's going to be a longer time frame, so 2040, 2050, uh, probably for fishing vessels and the like. Um, But for the brands themselves, they can choose to put their goods on green vessels. Um, And we are seeing as we've talked a lot about today, uh, exponential growth um, in the fuel supply for green shipping. Uh, We've got um, new and exciting technologies, I think just last week, um, an onboard uh, hydrogen fuel cell pod that can be used to retrofit existing vessels Uh, just received its approval in principle. Um, So there's a lot of things that are developing. And I think one of the big things uh, that I think should be a takeaway for fuel suppliers as well as, um, you know, cargo carriers themselves is that you know, shipping has operated out of sight and out of mind for decades. That is no longer the case.
0: Music for this episode is by Audio Coffee on Pixabay.